How we doing? All right. Well, this is the fourth time I've taught through this passage in a few days. So who knows how this is going to end. Um, so last week, I should probably keep this close. <clears throat> last week, uh, we started a new series uh, called Wholehearted Living. And uh, our uh, mission statement as a church says, um, we glorify God by making wholehearted followers of Christ. And so every now and then it's good to take a little pause and step back and define some of our terms. And so we want to talk about what it means to be wholehearted. And last week we were in 1 Peter chapter 1. This week we're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 1. And um, actually, next week we'll be in 1 John chapter 1. You see a pattern? Um, you, and by the way, you do not want to miss next week. Um, if, you're, if you're graduating, any, anybody that's graduating? <laughs> um, you need to be in the room. And uh, if you're going on a mission this summer, you need to be in the room. Um, you just need to be in the room either way. And uh, Chris Fitz, we're going we're gonna to let him out of the cage next Sunday night. Um, well, don't cheer yet. <laughs> Wait till you're done licking your wounds after. Um, Chris is getting ready to move his family back overseas. And... Uh, you've never heard Chris's heart for the nations, you need to be here um, next Sunday. <clears throat> so 2 Peter, when, when Peter writes uh, both of these letters, he has, um, he's writing to a group of people that have been scattered, they've been persecuted. Uh, and in 1 Peter um, chapter 1, I think it's somewhere around verse 6, he introduces the idea of, of trials. Uh, basically, you're going to go through trials, but don't let the trials win. Um, and then at the end of 1 Peter, he, uh, he introduces the idea of fiery trials. He kind of peers into the future and says, you know, it's going to get worse. And then some time passes, and he writes 2 Peter, and guess what? It has gotten worse. And um, he, he, he tells us, that uh, it's just going to get worse before it gets better. And the context Peter's living in is not unlike the one we're living in today. He lived in the Roman Empire. They had the strongest military, the biggest economy, the most diversity of any nation at that point in the history of the world. Uh, and yet they were self-destructing. For several reasons. One was uh, they had some political unrest. They were ruled by a guy named Nero. I don't know if you've heard of this guy. He was a real piece of work. Uh, one of the most violent human beings who's ever lived. Uh, toward the end of his reign, he was literally using Christians as torches at dinner parties he would have. Um, 
economically they were in a crisis, not because of a pandemic, but because of a fire. They had a fire that swept through the great city of Rome, knocked out a lot of businesses, and their economy was struggling. Uh, they had social unrest, racial unrest. They were rioting in the streets, and persecution of Christians was at an all-time high. Does that sound familiar? If you have the internet, it sounds a little bit like the world we're living in today, right? And so Peter is telling the church he's writing to and to us, it's not going to get better. In fact, it may get worse before it ever gets better. And he's not doing that to scare us, but to prepare us, right? And if we're going to, uh, when, when you look around at the experts, a lot of people are saying, well, we hope this kind of cultural moment just sort of moves, right? Maybe it'll just kind of drift out of the way and we'll be fine. Or maybe there's a way around all of this mess. But here's the reality. You and I both know. We have to go through this. And so the question for us as followers of Jesus is how do we go through this and still remain wholehearted? And I think Peter gives us uh, some good uh, idea of how we do that. The first thing is this. Look in 2 Peter 1, verse 1. Uh, you need to see that God works for you. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is the starting point for everything. You have to start with God. How are you with God? Jesus. Our biggest problem is not out there. It's not the economy. It's not the virus. Our biggest problem is us. We have a sin problem. And until that is dealt with, all the other problems don't really matter. So the first priority is, are you right with God? Most world religions Hold this view that God is other. He's something different than us. He's holy, and we're not like him. And every major world religion actually has basically a ladder you have to climb to get to God and build a relationship with God and be near God. That's called works-based religion. The difference in Christianity is this, is we don't go up, God comes down. God does all the work. And we get all the benefits. That's called grace. God works for you. It's how you become a Christian. Look in, uh, he says, to those who have obtained a faith. That, that word obtained means it was given to you. It's a gift. It's righteousness that belongs to Jesus that's given to you. You can't, you can't get this at Amazon. Right? There, you, you can't call ahead and have it brought out to your car at Target or Kroger. Like this is a gift given to you by God. Jesus does all the work. You get all the benefits. Second uh, Corinthians 5.21 says it this way. God knew him, made him who knew no sin to be in sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. The great reformer Martin Luther called this the great exchange. I get... The righteousness of Jesus, Jesus gets my sin. And so the starting point for us, if we're going to live wholeheartedly, is this. Are we right with Jesus? 
Think about it this way. You're, when, you get, when you do your work in school, it earns you a GPA, right? When you stand before holy God, Jesus is your report card. Some of you are looking for a job. You will be eventually. And you're going to put out a resume. It's going to have what you have done, what you think you can do. Right? And everything about whether or not you get that job will be dependent on your resume. When you stand before a holy, righteous God, Jesus is your resume. What have you done with Jesus? It's all about Jesus, what he's done, who he is, and have you received the gift of his righteousness? Um, you guys remember bookstores? You know, Corona. Um, and really, there's, there's a couple left, I guess. Thank you, Amazon. Um, my favorite thing about bookstores used to be the self-help section. It was huge, right? And uh, here's why I liked it, because I thought it was probably the funniest section in the entire bookstore. Because I, uh, let's be honest, I, I need more help than that. So do you, right? You do, you, you're not waking up this morning and looking in the mirror going, it's a good thing you're here, right? You, listen, we have a God-sized problem. We need a God-sized solution, and self-help is not it. When God deals with our sin problem, and he has to deal with it because we can't, then the rest of our problems can get dealt with. And some of you are saying, I, but I've got stuff I need to work on. No, here's the question. How are you in Jesus? You need to answer that question. Have you given Jesus your sin and taken his righteousness? If you have not done that, you need to do that right now. You can do that in your heart and your mind and just say to him, Jesus, I, I'm giving you my sin. I want to take your righteousness as mine. That's the first priority. Peter gives these two great titles for Jesus, God and Savior. Jesus is God over all the problems. Isn't it good to know in, a, in the cultural moment that we are in, where the world seems like it's spinning out of control, there is a God who is in control. There's never any panic in heaven. God never looks down and goes, oh, I didn't see that coming. He's in control over it. But not only is Jesus in control over it, he is the Savior through it. There is nothing, listen to me, nothing that you are going through or that you have gone through or that you ever will go through that Jesus has not experienced. He is the Savior through it. And you don't just need him for the last day, you need him every day. So if you have not received Jesus as your God over it and your Savior through it, you need to do that right now. Because God works for you in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And then, Peter tells us, he, God works in you. Look at verse 2. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So we experience, as God works in us, 
an ever-increasing grace and peace in the knowledge of God. And the word knowledge there is this word that means to experience. It's not just acquisition of facts about God. They have an intimate relationship with their God. And Peter says that you literally know him through Jesus. So not only does God do something for you in Jesus, he does something in you through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 3, his divine power, that's the Holy Spirit, has granted to you all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. If you're the kind of person that underlines things in your Bible, you need to underline that little three-letter word, all. Uh, here's what it means in the Greek. All. Right? Don't you love it sometimes when pastors go, well, in the Greek it actually means. This is what it means. All. Everything. You lack nothing. This is a concept, listen, we got to get our head wrapped around this. This is an insane statement. So let's look at it again. Verse 3, his divine power has granted to us, everybody say it. Wow. Thank you. You're a little slow, but that's good. I feel you. Has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Some of you may have a translation that says everything. You, you don't lack a single thing that you need to live wholeheartedly for Jesus. Now, you may not be accessing it, but you don't lack anything. This means you don't just endure trials as you move through them. You don't just endure the world. You thrive in it because you have access to this power. And God, God's not just making you better. In fact, you can't make dead things better. Did you know this? Try it. We got a couple of dead plants in the uh, 1590. You can come over and try to see what you can do with those things. No, he makes us new, right? This is... So this is the fourth time I've taught through this. This is mind-blowing to me. This may be my favorite part of the whole message. You get new things. Who doesn't like getting new stuff, right? Anybody get anything new recently? Nobody? Oh, thank you, Sam. New Bible. Yes. You win. New. Were you excited when you got your new Bible? I'm sorry, Sam and I are having a moment. Y'all talk amongst yourself. New. You want to hear what you get? New? Yes, you do. All right. You get a new Lord because before you meet Jesus, guess who the boss is? You. You come kicking and screaming out of the womb, giving God the middle finger. I, you, now, that, you may think that's excessive. Trust me. That's what's in your heart when you fly out in the delivery room. 
someday you're going to have kids and you will come back and go, you know what? You were right. You get a new Lord. You get a new nature. That's what it means to be born again. Right? You're born the first time, again, with this sin nature. You're born again with a new nature. Which means the bad tree that only bears bad fruit has become a good tree that can now bear good fruit. You get a new mind. Some of you are experiencing this for the first time. You, you, maybe in the past you tried to read the Bible and you're like, man, this is boring. But all of a sudden, you meet Jesus, you get a new nature, you get a new Lord, and you get all of, all of a sudden you're like, man, I really like the Bible. This is a crazy book. And you love it. You can't get enough of it. You, you can't get enough of this, what, what, what Peter calls the knowledge of God. You study it. You think differently. You get new power. Divine power. Things that are impossible for you. The Holy Spirit says, you know what? I got this. You can't forgive that person? I got it. You get new desire. Your new nature hates what you used to love and loves what you used to hate. Your desires are new. The closer you get to Jesus, the less this world satisfies. You get new stuff. God works in you to make you new. So God works for you in the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. He works in you through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to make you a new person. And he works with you. Look in verse 5. For this very reason. What reason? The fact that you have all this new power and you have a new nature and a new Lord and new desires and a new mind. For that reason, make every effort to supplement, so just like your body needs vitamins and supplements, your soul needs them. Supplement your faith with virtue, your virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with goodness, I'm sorry, with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. God works through you in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. He works in you in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he works with you, not to make you a Christian, but to help you grow in becoming more wholehearted for him. Let me give you an illustration that I think will help. Um, we got anybody on the rowing team, UGA rowing team in the room? Ah. So several years ago, I don't even remember when it was, they, they used to practice at Fort Yargoat, which is right up the road here in Winder. And I, I was there, and um, they've got the, the, it's usually some small person, the, the coxswain, you know what I'm talking about? Who's got the bullhorn, and they're yelling at everyone. You know. And they're out, and they're out on the water, and they're just gliding. Effortless. Well, it looks effortless, but, you know, they're like, Rawr! 
Ugh. There's such unity. It's an awesome thing to see. If you've never seen it, you should just go watch. I think they still practice at Fort Yargo. So I was thinking about that image this week. And how I think it's a picture of the Christian life. Think about it. We are drowning in an ocean of sin. Jesus rose up to us, grabs us, pulls us in the boat. That's faith. And he hands you an oar. And he says, we're going somewhere. Start rowing. And you're rowing with Jesus. Here's the cool thing, I think, about the coxswain that gives the directions. You know that's the only person in the boat that can see where they're going. Have you thought about this? Nobody else can see where they're going. Complete and total trust in the person giving instructions. Because they can see where they're going. That's how Jesus is, should be in our life, right? We just go, yes, Jesus, I'm just obeying you. Because he knows where he's going. And he knows where he wants to take you, right? And, and just before you think this sounds a whole lot like works, let me draw your attention to a phrase. Verse 5, make every effort. There's work for you to do, right? Listen, the gospel frees you from earning. You need to hear that. It frees you from earning your right standing with God. The gospel frees you from earning. It does not free you from effort. It empowers you for effort. That's Peter's whole argument here, right? God's done something for you. He's given you the righteousness of Jesus. He's working in you through the Holy Spirit to give you everything you need to put effort into growing to become a wholehearted follower of him. And, and you add, this is what he's saying. So faith, right? See it? Make every effort to supplement your faith. That's the foundational. That's Jesus getting you in the boat. That's you saying, Jesus, give me your righteousness. I'm going to give you my sin. That's faith. You already have it. If you're a follower of Jesus, Peter says, add these seven, I don't know what to call these seven things. They're not character traits, they're found, let's just call them the oars, right? We'll go with the rowing metaphor. Add virtue to your faith. It basically means courage. It's moral fortitude. It's um, when you're motivated internally to do what's right, no matter the cost. Peter says, add that to your faith. And then to the virtue, add knowledge. This is uh, practical, experiential knowledge. Peter uses the exact same word in 1 Peter 3, verse 7, when he's encouraging husbands to live with their wives. He says, literally, According to knowledge, it means um, uh, to know a wife personally and intimately. It's the same word used with reference to a personal knowledge 
uh, of Jesus through an intimate relationship in Philippians chapter 3. Knowledge. Self-control. As believers, building on faith with virtue and knowledge, we, we must not let anything control us or have mastery over us except Jesus. Not money, not sex, not power, not food, drink, drugs, a job, habits, work, friends, nothing. Self-control just means saying no sometimes. Steadfastness. Believers must keep on the narrow path. It's, it's being focused on Jesus and the instructions he gives us. When he, when he leaves in Matthew, he gives the disciples instruction to teach people to obey everything he's commanded. That's what it means to be steadfast. Just be steady. Focus. Godliness. It is the, it's, it's, a, it's a word that means um, authentic piety. Right? That's a big fancy word, right? It, it basically, it runs in two directions. It means your attitude toward God, showing the proper respect and reverence for the Almighty is right. And then... The second part of it is you have a uh, right view toward other people, showing them respect and honor. Brotherly affection. It, it just means treating others the way you would members of your own family. Some of you may be thinking, well, you don't know my brother. Pretend Jesus is your brother. That's kind of a joke. Tough crowd tonight. <clears throat> it just it means you should bear one another's burdens, feel each other's joy and pain. You make room. This is hard. This is so hard in the cultural moment we're in. Make room for others' opinions, feelings, ideas, suggestions. Doesn't mean you have to embrace them. It just means you give them some space, right? It's the key to living in true community. I'm going to stop. No, it's, it's what's wrong with social media. There's almost zero brotherly affection. Right? It's why I got off Twitter. No, I'm, you think I'm kidding. It's like I would get up every morning and I'm like, well, who am I supposed to be mad at today? I'm a, this is not a pro, I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but you should get off of social media. Your, your life will be better. And you know what? You won't miss knowing what somebody had for breakfast. See, I shouldn't have gone there. Love, agape, this is the kind of love that seeks the highest good for others, puts their needs above self. It means unconditional devotion. 
It's the kind of love God demonstrated for us when he sent Jesus to die for us. So you, you may read that list and go, man, that seems a little challenging. There are about five of those seven that I don't have anywhere in my world. Well, you just need to repent. And you need to lean into verse 3 and the reality that his divine power has given you all things. You have, the, you have a new power. You have access to the Holy Spirit and you are able through effort, again, Peter's not saying, oh, it's easy. The word effort means you got to work. Don't be lazy. Right? Again, the gospel frees us from earning, not from effort. Why do we need to put in all this effort? Well, here, here's not to earn salvation, but it's so. Look at verse 8. If these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful. Did you know the main purpose of your life is not to be successful? Somebody's about to text their parents and go, guess what my pastor said. <laughs> Listen, the main purpose of your life is to be fruitful. You may not ever be successful in the world's eyes. But if you're in the boat rowing with Jesus, you're going to be fruitful. Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. This is what Peter is saying here. Look, you can, you can get to the place in your life where you forget what God has done for you in Jesus and the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Completely forget that. And not even think about what he's got planned ahead of you. Because you're so dialed in to one thing in front of you. You're fixated on one thing at the expense of everything. It, it may be a bad relationship and it's just right here and it's all you can think about. I'm going to pick on the guys. Girls, you're coming. Next. You, you may be thinking, if I could just get that girl, why won't she pay attention to me? And you're so, like, or, or she broke your heart or whatever. And I'm not discounting that, but you're so fixated on it. You're nearsighted and you're blind. You just need to get over it. It could be somebody you haven't forgiven. And all you can think about is that person, how they've wronged you. And you're just so nearsighted, you're blind. There's some real practical ways you can get, uh-oh, nearsighted and blind, right? You see this much? Well, I've got like one app, um, and I don't know how to use it. Um, seriously, if you, if you get on this thing, and the first thing every day is you go to this news instead of the good news. You're going to get nearsighted and blind. If you're, if you're doing this, trying to see what everybody thinks about you on social media, you're going to become nearsighted and blind instead of seeing what the king thinks about you. I, it's, it's not evil. It's just, it acts like it's a God. It rings and buzzes and we go, oh. <gasps> 
That was free. God works for you. All right, we're going we're gonna to move through this last point really quick. God works for you in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. God works in you through the power of the Holy Spirit to give you everything you need. God works with you as you supplement with effort and add to your faith. And finally, God works through you. All right? 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 10. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. There's some work, right? If you practice, there's more work. These qualities, you will never fall. Think about that. The, the plans of God will never fail. Which means if you're in the boat rowing with Jesus, you're going to get where you're going. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it is, I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. Stir you up. That's actually why we gather. Because out there, there's nothing to celebrate. In here, there's someone to celebrate. Our God is Jesus. Our power is divine. Our destiny is secure. And you may think, well, that's Peter. Not so fast. Hebrews 10, 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Part of your role as a wholehearted follower of Christ is to stir up the people around you. And, and I know you know how to do this because you've been to a UGA football game. You don't have any problem stirring each other up about that. The writer of Hebrews and Peter says, it's like, it, it's like, it's like logs in a fire. If you pull the logs out and scatter them, the fire's going to go out. If you push them together and you keep poking them with a stick, stirring them up, the flame's going to burn. I love this phrase. Peter says, because I know that the putting off of my body will be soon. Peter says, look, I'm doing this. I'm reminding you of this because I'm going to die. The, the thing that has been fascinating in the cultural moment we're in is the absolute fear people live in right now. What if we die? You're gonna. One out of one. Those are the stats. You're, you're gonna die. I'm not, I'm not trying to be flippant about that. You're gonna die. I don't know how. I don't know when. But you will die. Wouldn't it be awesome... If we knew a guy who had defeated death and was on the other side of it waiting on us when we got there. I know a guy. Peter knows a guy. Do you know a guy who defeated death? I'm trying to stir you up. It's, that was the moment you can get a little excited. Listen. Here, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna practice. We're going to stir each other up. Y'all stand up. Get ready. 
Here's the, here's the question. Is Jesus Christ your God over this life and your Savior through it? If he is, listen to what's true. You have the righteousness of Jesus. God will multiply grace and peace and knowledge to you continually. You have access to the power of the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. You have a new Lord, a new nature, a new mind, a new power, new desires. You are cleansed from sin. You were blind. Now you see. You were unfruitful. Now you are fruitful. And all of this because God works for you through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. He works in you through the power of the Holy Spirit. He works with you and through you so you and I can live wholeheartedly for the glory of Jesus and for the good of all people. Let's sing.